Do you want to have great faith or little faith? You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. I want to start off today by asking you a question. And that question I have for you is this. Are you satisfied with your level of faith in God? Or would you like to grow? Would you like to grow in your faith? Would you like to know God and trust God more than you do right now? I would hope so. I would hope that would be the answer for all of us here we would, right? How about this one? Would you like God to commend your faith? Would you like for God to speak well of your faith? And perhaps even say of you that you are a person of great faith. Would you like to hear God say that of you? That you are a person of great faith? Well, I would. But, you know, I realized something. That's one of those dangerous prayers, isn't it? (laughs) A certain thing, you know, it's like, oh, Lord, May I grow in faith. I want to be a person of great faith. You know what happens? (laughs) You get tested, right? But that's how we grow. That's how we grow in our faith. Be careful what you ask for, exactly. Well, Hebrews chapter 11 says, "Now, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. He goes on to say, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, certainly, but also what? And that he rewards those who seek him. Do you believe he exists? Do you believe that he rewards those who seek him? We see a definition of faith here, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We see the importance of faith. By it, people of old received their commendation. God commended them. He spoke well of them for their faith. But also then what? Without faith, it is difficult to please God? It is what? Impossible to please God without faith. And then finally, the imperative of faith. Whoever would draw near to God must believe what? That he exists, that he is, but then also what? That he he rewards those who seek him. Who wants to grow in your faith? Do you want to be a person of great faith? Do you want God to commend you? Well, we are continuing then in our series on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ unique. There was no one else like him. The unique life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going through this harmony of the Gospels where we've put together John MacArthur in this book, One Perfect Life, just put all of the Gospel accounts together into one flowing chronological order. And today then, looking at great faith and little faith. Great faith and little faith. Sometimes great faith comes from unexpected sources. Sometimes little faith comes from surprising sources as well. Great faith and little faith. 
And so the key idea that I want to take away, that I want us all to take away from this, is simply a question, a challenge question. Do you want to have great faith or little faith? Do you want to have great faith or little faith? We're looking in Matthew chapter 15, but also Mark chapter 7, a harmony of those. Before we look at that, we'll see that a little context here, that Jesus has been in conflict with the Pharisees and that they were plotting to kill him because he spoke out against them. And they accused him of blasphemy because he, being a man, was making himself out to be God. But Jesus' time had not yet come So he withdrew from that area for a time to predominantly Gentile areas, to the north and the west along the Mediterranean coast, and then from there to the Decapolis, which was a region of ten Gentile cities southeast of the Sea of Galilee. But also, though, before we read our text today, it is important for us, it's critical for us, to remember an event that we just read about a few weeks ago when Jesus fed the 5,000. Now remember, that was 5,000 men with women and children, maybe fifteen or 20,000 people there. So Jesus fed this great multitude of people with how much? How many, how many resources did he receive? Five loaves and two fish, right? And did they all get just a little crumb? No, they ate till they were full. And in fact, there were leftovers, 12 baskets left over, one for each disciple, right? They ate till they were full. And in that event, Jesus was showing to these Jewish men and women at that time, he was sending a clear message that he, Jesus, was, is the bread of life. He is the true manna from heaven who came down to heaven, who gives eternal life and will resurrect all who believe in him. I want to imagine, if you were there, if you were one of his disciples, and you have seen that, can you imagine the powerful impact that must have made on you if you were there? Can you imagine the powerful impact that must have made on the disciples that day? Well, I want you to remember that. Remember that as we go a little further in our text today. But first then we're told, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. I love that line. He entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For behold... A woman of Canaan, whose young daughter had an unclean spirit, heard about him. And she came from that region and fell at his feet, and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, 
I was not sent except to the lost sheep of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs, which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. For this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter, and her daughter was healed from that very hour. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out, and her daughter lying on the bed. Here we see great faith. A woman of great faith. So now Jesus, he wanted to get away from the questionings and the opposition from the religious leaders. And so he withdrew from Israel. He went north and west into the region of Tyre and Sidon. This was a Gentile area along the coastal region there of Phoenicia. And Jesus went there not to minister publicly to the people there, but to have some private time alone with his disciples. He wanted private time with them so he could instruct them without interruption because he knew the time was coming soon. We are less than a year away from the cross at this point. So he knew that that time was coming and he wanted to spend some time with his disciples to instruct them and prepare them for all that was drawing near but he could not conceal his presence because of this great news of his healing power preceded him even there. I love that. He entered a house, wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. Right? And so there then he met a Canaanite woman, a Syrophoenician woman from the Phoenician region of the province of Syria. And she pleaded with him, have mercy Have mercy on her daughter, who was demon, severely demon-possessed. And interesting, this is a Gentile woman, Syrophoenician woman, and yet she addresses Jesus and calls him Lord, Son of David, which was what? A very clear messianic term. She understood that he was the Jewish Messiah, and yet here is this Syrophoenician woman, this Gentile, going up and saying, Lord, son of David. She believed in the Jewish Messiah. But even using that appeal could not help her. When Jesus failed to answer her, Jesus was silent. He didn't answer her. She persisted with her appeal. She wouldn't give up. She kept coming back to him. And so the disciples said to Jesus, just send her away. Send her away. She's bothering us. But Jesus then speaks. And he says that he was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. He had come for his own people, the Jews, first. Now we know 
that ultimately he came for all Gentiles as well. But here Jesus says, well, you know, my focus here is on the Jews. I've come for the lost sheep of Israel. It would be inappropriate to bring blessings on the Gentiles before blessing first fell on Israel. But the woman was not easily discouraged. That she saw in Jesus her only chance for help for her child. And so she pleaded with him again, Lord, help me. But then Jesus said something very strange. He said, it wouldn't be right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. How many of you are shocked by what Jesus is doing at this point and what he is saying, right? Jesus does that sometimes, doesn't he? He confounds our expectations. Why is he ignoring her? And then when he finally does speak, he says, well, I came for the Jews. And when she continues to persist, he says, look, it wouldn't be right to take the children's bread and toss it to dogs. Now, some of us are like, what's the matter with Jesus? What is he doing? How can he be so rude and mean? How many of you are thinking that right now? What's the matter with Jesus? Why is he being so rude and mean to her? Right? Hmm. But it's important for us to understand, though, exactly what he's saying and why. Said so Jesus says it's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. That first of all, Jesus is picturing as being like at a, at a, in, a in a household. And the family is gathered around a table and the master of the house is giving bread to the children. It wouldn't be right, to, instead of giving that bread to the children, to give it to the dogs. That is like they're the little dogs, their pets, their household pets. Parents, would you do that if you were sitting around the table there and you had the meal? Your, your children are hungry, but wait, wait a minute. I've got to feed the dogs first and take that food and give it to the dogs. I asked that and I realized some of you would do that, though, wouldn't you? <laughs> We love our dogs. We love them, don't we? But most of us know we, we, we wouldn't do that. We feed the children first, right? So why is Jesus saying this? Especially when we consider, you know what? The Jews often called Gentiles dogs, a disparaging term. Is Jesus calling this woman a dog? A disparaging term here? Because the, gen- the Jews, they would speak of Gentiles as being like dirty, diseased, wild dogs, vicious, mongrel dogs. Not a very kind thing to say about people, right? And is Jesus co-opting that term and saying, get away from me, you dog? No. And this woman was no doubt aware of that. But Jesus didn't use that term for that kind of wild, vicious, dirty dog. He used a different term for a domestic dog, little dogs, which would be what? Like our pets. So he's drawing on that, but he is not calling her a dog. He's comparing her more to like, what? The little pet that you have at home. Even so we're wondering, okay, well, why is he doing this? Why didn't he just help her? Well, I think he was testing her faith. Now, when God tests our faith, 
Why is he doing it? Does God know our faith, where we are? Of course he does. So he's not finding out something he doesn't know. When God tests, it's not so that he finds out something he doesn't know. When God tests, what's being found out by whom? Who's the one who's finding out something? We are, are, right? So when God tests, it's not so that he finds out. It's so that we find out. And when God tests, it's not so that we will fall into temptation, but what? So that we will be built up in faith. So when God tests, it's to build up, and it's not to inform him of anything, it's to inform us. So he was drawing her faith out. He was testing her faith by first ignoring her, and then saying a remark about, well, you know, I've come for the Jews. And then even saying, well, you know, it's not right to give the children's bread, the Jews, to Gentiles, the little dogs. What's he doing? He's testing her to draw that faith out of her. Because what? Without faith, it is impossible to please God, Right? And whoever would come must believe that he exists and that what? He rewards those who seek him. Seeking God, is that a one-time deal? No, this is a way of life. It's a constant thing, isn't it? So he was testing her to bring her faith out of her. And I love how this woman responds. Isn't Isn't it beautiful? And he says, Jesus, it's not right to give uh, the children's bread to the little dogs. And what does the woman say? Still undeterred, she says what? Yeah, but even the little dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Being like, okay, I know, I know you're, you're, you're here for the Jews, but you know what? You can spare a little crumb of blessing for me too. There's plenty, Right? And Jesus then, he sees this and he commends her then. It says what? She has great faith. She has great faith. And so in doing so then, she served then as an example to the disciples who were watching this. And she also then continues to serve as an example for us here today, doesn't she? So in light of such great faith, the kind of faith, by the way, Jesus was looking for in Israel and not finding a whole lot of it, he granted her request and her daughter was healed from that very hour. And when the woman returned home, she found her daughter resting peacefully and the demon was gone. You know, incidentally, there are two instances in Scripture when Jesus commended persons as having great faith. And in both instances, the person commended with great faith was a Gentile. This woman, and who else? The Roman centurion. Now, these were two very unlikely uh, candidates for commendation as persons of great faith, weren't they? This Syrophoenician woman and a Roman centurion? And yet, they were. Meanwhile, Jesus is still looking for faith 
in Israel. So I might wonder, well, if faith is so important and God commends great faith, what can we learn about faith from this woman? Why did Jesus commend her as having great faith? Well, I want us to just very briefly consider three elements, three elements of the Syrophoenician woman's great faith. The first one is this. She was a Gentile woman who believed the Jewish Messiah would help her. Were the Gentiles aware of what many of the Jews thought about them? (laughs) Sure they were. And yet she is seeking out. She knows about this Jewish Messiah and believes that he will help her, a Gentile. She's willing to overcome that, that hostility there was between Jews and Gentiles and believed the Jewish Messiah would help her, a Gentile woman. Also then, it's interesting to note, she knew that distance was not an issue for Jesus. Now, what do I mean by that? What was this woman's request? She wanted healing for her daughter who was demon-possessed. Where was her daughter? At home. She didn't bring her daughter with her. She was at home. But she's coming to Jesus and says, I want you to heal my daughter. What does that tell you? She understood she didn't need to bring her daughter there. She could, Jesus could simply give the word and it would be done. That's faith, isn't it? By the way, the Roman centurion, same thing, right? Where was, he wanted healing for his servant. Where was the servant? Back home. And Jesus says, okay, I'll, I'll go there. And, this, and so he says, don't, don't bother. You don't need to go there. You just give the word and it'll be done. Right? For I know I am a man under authority. He is a man. He gives orders. His troops do what they say. Jesus, I know you just give the word. It'll be done. And Jesus marveled at his faith, right? So she knew that distance was not an issue for Jesus. He could just give the word and it would be done. That's a pretty stunning insight for this Gentile woman, don't you think? But here is the key, I think why she especially was commended, she would not be deterred. Nothing would stop her. Not the silence of Jesus, not the direction of Jesus. Hey, I'm for the, uh, I'm for the Jews. Come for the Jews. And then even this statement about children and giving children's bread to dogs, to little dogs, what did she do? She took that statement and turned it on its, on its head and said, Oh, yes, but even the little dogs get the crumbs from the master's table. She would not be deterred. We have a word for refusal to give up. That word is what? Perseverance. This woman is an example of persevering. She would not give up. Let's go on from there. Jesus leaves that region. It says again, Departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he skirted the Sea of Galilee and came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. They brought to him one who was deaf, And had an impediment in his speech. And they begged him to put his hand on him. 
And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears. And he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was loosed and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one, but the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. We see that again and again, don't we? So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. We saw great faith in the Syrophoenician woman. Here we see faith then too on the part of the multitude. And again, these in the Decapolis, which is a Gentile region, these were Gentiles who were coming to him with faith. One man who was brought to Jesus was deaf and could speak only with difficulty. Jesus takes him aside privately in order to communicate with him one-on-one. And by touching the man's ears and his tongue and spitting on the ground and looking up to heaven, Jesus conveyed to the man what he was going to do for him. And in doing this, he was drawing the man's faith out. Jesus gave the Aramaic command, Ephatha, meaning be opened. And at Jesus' command, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he could speak clearly. And Jesus healed many of their illnesses, and people praised the God of Israel. The Gentiles were praising the God of Israel. But the more Jesus told the people not to tell anyone what he had done, the more they kept proclaiming the news. Told then, in those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry to their own houses, lest they faint on the way. For some of them have come from afar. And then his disciples said to him, Where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? And Jesus asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven and a few little fish. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the disciples gave them to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets full of the fragments that were left. Now those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. So here we saw great faith on the part of the Syrophoenician woman. We saw faith on the part of the Gentile multitudes, and now we see little faith. Little faith on the part of the disciples. Jesus had been ministering to these Gentiles in the region of the Decapolis for about three days, and he had compassion on them for their physical needs. He didn't want to send them away hungry. 
And so the disciples say, hey, where are we going to get enough to feed a crowd this large? Is anybody sensing an astonishing disconnect here? What had just happened not too long ago? He fed an even bigger crowd. And now, what are we going to do, Lord? We can't feed all these many people out here. It's astonishing, isn't it? So in, in light of incidents like this, it's not so surprising that Jesus sometimes called the disciples men of little faith. This was not the only instance. There were others. And he said, what? Oh, ye of little faith. Ouch. But considering all that they had heard Jesus say, all that they saw him do, and yet they were still so slow to understand. Now, incidentally, we may chuckle at this, say, <laughs> those, those silly disciples, right? <laughs> he had just fed the 5,000 and, and did the, perform this great miracle that he is the bread from heaven and nothing is too hard for him. And now, same, it's actually even technically fewer people than the other crowd, and they're saying, what are we going to do? We don't have enough. <laughs> those silly disciples, right? But how often have you and I done the same thing, right? We have seen what God has done. We have seen how God has provided. And then we find ourselves in a, in a difficult situation again, and we're doing what? Oh, Lord, what am I going to do? We do the same thing as them, don't we? We sometimes prove ourselves to be men and women of little faith, don't we? So Jesus asked them about their present resources. Seven loaves of bread, a few small fish, and just like before, he miraculously multiplied it. They ate, they were all satisfied, and they said seven large baskets left over were picked up. How many of you want to go from little faith to great faith? From little faith to great faith. I want to make some suggestions here for today for how we can grow in our faith. How we can become men and women of great faith. Here's some practical suggestions for how to grow from little faith to great faith. The first one is this. Practice the biblical disciplines for the purpose of godliness. What are the biblical disciplines? What are the spiritual disciplines that God has given us in his word? Well, first of all, the key one is what? The scriptures themselves, Bible intake, prayer, worship, fellowship, evangelism, service, solitude. Some of these things, scriptural disciplines that God has given his people as tools to help us to grow for the purpose of godliness, that is to know him better and to grow in our knowledge and understanding of him in the faith and to grow in faith, to go from little faith to great faith is practicing the disciplines, not so we can mark it off our to-do list, well, I did my Bible reading for today, but what? To be a tool as we are submitted to God that God uses to grow us. There's a, a book I want to recommend. I've mentioned this to you before. I just want to mention it to you again. It's a great book. 
It's called spiritual disciplines for the Christian life. What I like about this is it is thoroughly biblical. It draws everything from it directly from the scriptures. And it's exciting. It's by Donald Whitney, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. Each chapter then takes an issue there, like, for example, Bible intake, reading the, reading the Word of God, hearing the Word of God, studying the Word of God, applying the Word of God, memorizing the Word of God, all of these things, Bible intake, prayer, worship, fellowship, evangelism, service, solitude, all of these things, he takes them and shows us that God gives these to us for the purpose of godliness, and he's defining godliness as knowing God better, knowing relationally, not just in our head, but knowing God better, knowing Christ better, but then also then growing in our faith, trusting him more. These are tools God has given us to help us grow. That's first off, practice the biblical disciplines for the purpose of godliness. The second one I'd say is meditate. Meditate on God's majesty. When I say meditate, Christian meditation is filling our minds with God's word and God's truth. It's not an Eastern meditation of emptying our minds and humming a word and and it's what it is filling our minds with God's word and God's truth. Meditate on God's word, meditate on God's truth, but meditate on God's majesty. When I say his majesty, it means what? His, his, his greatness, how exalted he is. Do a study of God's majesty, of his attributes, of what God is like, how he is all-powerful, how he knows all things, how he is present everywhere, how he is love, how he is righteous, how he is faithful, these and so many other things. You can't help but grow in faith when you meditate on, when you chew over in your mind again and again the majesty, the greatness of God. You can do that in his word. You can do that in a good book of theology, talking about the attributes or characteristics of God. You can do that. Here's a book I've mentioned before. By the way, I'm not getting a cut of sales on these books. I'm just putting them out there for you, okay? But I mentioned this before. I want to mention it again. It's by J.I. Packer. It's called Knowing God. And it's an extended reflection on the majesty of God, what it means to know God, not know about God, but to truly know God, and then just a reflection on his attributes, on the majesty of who he is. You can't help but grow in your faith when you meditate on the majesty of God. Now, I want to warn you with that one. That book is not an easy read, but it is well worth the effort. That's one of those books, you know, where you could just read a sentence and you got to stop and think about it for a while. Maybe you reread a paragraph two or three times or more but it is well worth it. So practice the biblical disciplines for the purpose of godliness. Meditate on God's majesty, and then to meditate on God's promises. His promises in Scripture are like this in John 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything, In my name, I will do it. Do you believe that? Study that. Find out what Jesus meant when he said, in my name. 
and then believe this. Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For anyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. To the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Do you believe that? And by the way, what do you see? There's perseverance. We could translate ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on, or seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Perseverance, just like that woman who would not give up. Remember God's faithfulness. Reflect on the times that God has proven himself faithful to you and to people you know. And dare I might say, keep a list. Write these things down. Go back and remind yourself how God proved himself faithful to you. When you're tempted to worry, get anxious, say, oh, yeah, I've completely forgotten about that, right? How many of you are like me? You don't remember what you did yesterday, let alone 10 years ago, right? Write it down. Have a list of things. By the way, one of the, the, the disciplines that that book talks about is journaling, writing things down. And I wish, I, I tell you, because I've, I've done this study with a, a number of folks here now, and I have to tell you, when always we get to that section, I have to say, you know, well, first of all, I have plenty of room to grow in all of the spiritual disciplines. I think we all do. But journaling is probably one that I just find myself again and again wishing that I had done more of. I've done some and I have some, and I think back and I, and I can look about things that I wrote years ago, decades ago, some of this stuff. And I'm so thankful that, oh, yeah, I remember. It's so amazing to see how God has worked in your life over time, how he has proved himself faithful to you. And I just wish I had more of it to consult. So consider that. Write this stuff down. So you can go back later and reflect on it. And you grow in your faith as you meditate and remember on God's faithfulness. Here's a radical thought. Ask God for great faith. It's a dangerous thing. Be careful what you ask for, somebody said, right? Why is it dangerous to ask God for great faith? Because <laughs> he'll test it, right? But it says what in Luke 17? The apostles said to the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Even a little faith can do great things. Lord, increase our faith. Ask, ask God. Finally then, trust. Trust God to help you persevere. Trust God to help you persevere. Because that is a critical element of growing in faith, is that right there, perseverance, right? Great faith doesn't mean we ask one time and God immediately answers. Now, sometimes he does immediately answer. Sometimes the answer is already coming before we've even asked, right? But most of the time, what? We need to persevere. Keep on asking, keep on believing. So what? 
What do you want me to do with this? Well, again, I ask you that question. Do you want to have great faith or little faith? Well, I would challenge us all then today to aspire to great faith. Aspire to great faith. Practice the biblical disciplines for the purpose of godliness. Meditate on God's majesty. Meditate on God's promises. Remember God's faithfulness. Ask God for great faith. And trust God to help you persevere. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this wondrous gift that you have given us in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we would increase in godliness, that we would come to know Christ better and better, that we would grow in our knowledge of him, but in our faith in him and you, Lord. And Lord, we said, be careful what we ask for. We know this is a dangerous thing to ask for because it'll be tested. But Lord, we want to know you better. We want to trust you more. We want to hear you commend us and say, great is your faith. We want to be men and women of great faith. We want to be a church of great faith. Lord, we're stepping out on a, on a, on a, on a ledge here. But we're saying, Lord, make us a church of great faith. We want to honor you. For you are worthy of our faith. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.